Welcome to the Explosion Network's exploration of Studio Ghibli. Each week we'll be discussing one of the films from within the library of the celebrated animation studio. This is Studio Ghibli's Animated Wonders. Hello, my name is Noel Blight, and joining me to discuss today's animated wonder is Karen Marchant. Hey everyone, how's it going? Absolutely fantastic. How are you? Oh, just fantastic. I'm excited to record the podcast and jump into uh, Wind Rises. I'm glad to hear. Also here, Ashley Hobley. Hey, Dylan. Excited to be here to talk about planes. How do you make them? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ash, uh, as this film tells you, there are various different materials that you could use and um, objects and sorts of ways you go different about it. Different kind of riveting. people. <laughs> You can make them not to kill people. You can make them transport people. You can make them transport killing machines. Uh, so we're talking about The Wind Rises today, uh, directed and written by Hayao Miyazaki. Maybe his last film, but very possibly his last film, considering the one he's working on at the moment. He's doing about two minutes every The last completed month. film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it was supposed to be his last film until he retired for like the fourth time. He came out of retirement to do what he's doing now. But anyway... Uh, the main cast of the film is Hidaki Anno, Hidatoshi Nishikama, Maori Takamoto, Mashiko Nishima, Manasi Nomura, and it was released in 2013. The synopsis for the film is a look at the life of Jiro Horikoshi, the man who designed Japanese fighter planes during World War II. Ash, what'd you make of this one? I liked most of it. It was kind of long, but uh, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. Uh, very different to all the a lot of the Miyazaki we've gotten so far. Most of his stuff has been more fantastical. Of course, there is that well, little it, bit. I, it's 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 straight up completely different. It's the only one of his movies that isn't like got any well, sort of fancy. It's got that dream. It does have that dream. It has elements. a lot of dream sequences. If you want to count that as fantastical. A dream sequence to me doesn't make it fantasy. It's just a dream sequence. I mean, being able to walk on those planes, that's pretty fantastical. Uh, yeah, but it's in a dream. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really... It was long. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was moving and emotional. And uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Planes. Uh, Karen, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, overall, I really enjoyed it. I think this is very interesting. I think looking at this movie, there are either callbacks or ongoing themes in this movie used from previous movies in his um, repertoire. Like I, I especially see um, a little, little part, little parts of from Porco Rosso being brought into this, as well as uh, some of kind of the same kind of feeling around um, Grave of the Fireflies in this as well. At the same time, like I feel like. From Studio Ghibli movies, all over. It's he. Look, Ashley, I know it's he's not. That wasn't a Miyazaki film, but it's studio. Look, I'm talking myself into a hole here. It's a whole thing, but it's fine. Um, I think he, my only problem with this movie is I feel it. In some ways, it's a little disjointed. Um, in terms of it has time jumps throughout the movies, but it doesn't always explain those time jumps very well or make those time jumps incredibly obvious i think the characters look much the same for most of the movie even though there are 
period jumps of like five years at some sections, which is like, okay, sure. I, I, it kind of took me a bit to catch up with that. Um, and I think towards the end of the movie, I started to kind of dislike Jiro like a little bit. He was starting to annoy me. Why? For more, and I know it's a traditional Japanese thing, but more for the like, he had, um, I can't remember the his wife's, wife's name. name, yeah. Uh, um, but Na- Naiko, Naiko, yeah. So, um, just when she was, you know, she came to him to spend time together, and he kept saying, Well, we this time's important, we need to spend this time together and be important. And then he was like working so much on the plane and leaving her alone all, all the time. Um, I think that was starting to annoy me slightly that there didn't seem to be the end of this movie doesn't really have a, a good like it doesn't wrap itself up very well like it doesn't it just kind of ends and you're like oh okay sure we're not gonna get any emotional fallback from this section or this section but okay whatever um I I, I think it's good I I agree that it's, it's can be at times kind of disjointed or scenes long for long scenes go for longer than what feel necessary or especially some of the dream stuff I felt was too way too long that's the stuff I actually felt went way longer than necessary um I would say I would disagree about the ending I thought I actually liked the ending because I liked the way it kind of just showed that a, a lot of the movies about World War Two, because obviously yep. he's building the planes, and then it ends with him being showing that he's disappointed in in what he built and what they were used for, and it's this really awkward scene where you have to see the the people in the planes all kind of like salute him as the the person that made them, and they're like good on you, but he he's mm-hmm. even though he like salutes back or whatever, he he has he remorse, doesn't feel great yeah. about yeah he feels remorse about the whole situation, and so the ending is kind of. It, it doesn't have like a big flashy ending because there isn't one. And I guess for me though, he- I guess it, I didn't like, I, I, I guess I think I was confused at the end where I was like, well, okay, obviously there's been another time jump of this is post-war where everything bad has happened for Japan and it's gone really poorly. Um, but for me, it's like, is he, I, I'm trying to figure out, was he dead? Is he still alive? How long has um, Neoto? like been dead for now, like just that kind of stuff where, you know, um, the Italian, um, his spirit guide, you guess you'd call him, said she's been waiting for you for a long time. But his character just doesn't seem to age very much in that period, even though everything up in this movie had been in the space of the 1930s leading into the late 1930s into 1940s. Um, yeah, it's just very weird. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I, I didn't take it as he was dead at the end or anything. I just, I just took it no, as he was another, just dreaming again. Yeah, just another dream sequence. We had so many at this point. It become. I'm pretty sure that's just the state he enters whenever he sleeps. He just goes to this magical land. Apparently, that's how it. That's how the, <laughs> the world works. Anyway, well, he's just connected um, to this one guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the one he started. Um, it, as a kid, the really, book he found. But was he really? It's, a, connected it's the book to him? he found. No, he wasn't like it's not real. It's just an imagination version of him that he saw in his mind because he because he picked up that book when he was a kid that was like yep. you know how to how to make pl- planes or whatever, and it was by that guy. So then he started yep. having throughout the rest of his life he would, he would have these dream sequences, and it was it was that guy um, who who took him through this thing. <clears throat> um, so when it came to thematic breakdown, 
All I put down was human nature, World War Two, but kind of not, and then making our, dis- our own decisions and then living with the consequences of them. So it's it's weird. I guess you could kind of put it as Miyazaki's, all of Miyazaki's films are about nature, but this one's the most about human nature, I guess, <laughs> I guess mm. is like the easiest way to sort of explain it because it doesn't actually have anything, if not much to do with nature, but has a lot to do with um, it, people making decisions and then just dealing with them, even if they were the right or not the right ones. And obviously with the main character, um, Oh, fuck, what is his name? I already forgot. The real, Jiro. Um, I say character. He's a real. Uh, he's based on a real person. But yeah, Jiro. So it's like with him, obviously, he has the whole thing where throughout the whole movie, he, he, he looks at these planes as if they're art to him and nothing more than that. However, he can play it as dumb and as blindly as he wants. But the entire time he was helping build killing machines, even if that wasn't what he was setting out to do or what his mission was. And that's what he did. And those things were used to kill many people, including many Japanese people died within them. And that not saying it's all his fault. However, he did take part in that. And that's, and this film takes a very weird, um, well, not weird, but it, it definitely takes a stance. Miyazaki never really touches or says anything about world war two. Like I never got the feeling watching this at ever at any point where he was like, "Oh, the we the war was good or the war was bad or J- Japan fucked up or you know like he, it's just very much like he does have that segment where Jiro's talking to the uh, the German guy, the German guy C- Caproni, Caproni, Castaport or something about Mr. Hitler. Yeah, and they say it's all going to end with like a big bang or something. I can't remember exactly what the words were. He says Japan's going to go out with a bang. Germany's going to go out with a bang. Um, Caproni. I think it's I think it's a really interesting time period to look at because, once again, as a Western audience, we don't see much about Japan pre-World War II, like leading up into World War II and how they see. I found it actually really fascinating to think about Japan reflectively in this one because much of this from his kind of work and his job point of view from when they're discussing is talking about how Japan is so far behind the rest of the world when it comes to technologies such as planes and boats and everything. Like Even when we saw their naval vessels, their naval vessels were very different from the rest of the world with the um, the short kind of runways being like roof segments to their ships. And I think that's that's fascinating now that we look at Japan currently where Japan is seen as the most technologically advanced country in the world and that this kind of this thinking and this kind of time period is almost what leads into that into Japan you know wanting to know more wanting to stop being so far behind everyone else in the world and pushing themselves to evolve in a way that has made them go further than any other you know country or civilization in the human race it's um really interesting I I think that ties into one of the key lines in the movie from um, Caproni, Caproni, whatever his name is, um, where he says, I think it's him, I think it is him, um, who says the line along the lines of, uh, would you like to live in a world without the pyramids? Yes. Uh, which, no, which no, is no, that is, that's his Italian plane maker, I believe. Was it? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah it might have been. I, I, I knew it was even one. Because they, they was, said... They say it while he stood on like the wing of the plane while they're looking oh, at okay. oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, because he's talking about, you know, the fact that they're, 
they're these beautiful things, these planes, but if you think about what they're being made for, then you may be like, well, they're evil, I guess. And the, the comparison to the pyramids is that, you know, the pyramids are looked at at these marvelous wonders of the world. However, they were made by uh, rulers enforcing slaves to do horrific work to build them. But now as a human race, we just look at them as beautiful wonders, you know? So, and I guess that's, that's the closest this film gets with Miyazaki sort of touching on his general thoughts on. I did see Miyazaki. I did see in this, and I don't know if I would have thought this previously, but um, recently Nick Pryor shared in our, like in our uh, explosion network Slack an image from probably the Miyazaki documentary or something the Miyazaki said where... Um, this is where I shared it. What was that? The screenshot of him saying that Japan shouldn't go to Yeah, um, Japan war. shouldn't go to war because it's yeah, just yeah, bad I at shared it. that. You shared that? Sorry. Yeah. I, you know what? It was historical, so I was like, man, that's a Nick thing. But no, it was... It's got to do with planes, <laughs> war. It's got to be Nick. Exactly. Yeah, I forgive you. Nick. It does make sense. Um, does make sense. But... Looking at the, like, I think that that made watching this movie even more interesting. That that is the opinion that Miyazaki has looking back at war in J- in Japan, and seeing the multiple times that kind of war has featured in Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli's movies throughout the period, the like throughout the whole twenty one movies is, is is fantastic. Um, I just think it's a very interesting perspective that mm. you can see that he isn't glorifying. I don't believe in any of these movies has Miyazaki or any of the directors of Studio Ghibli glorified war or made war or war times look anything that, you know, heroic glorified or anything, yeah. at all or heroic no. or anything like that. No. And I don't believe they're fence sitting either. I just think it's always told from the point of view of it's a thing that happened and we're telling stories in these time periods, yeah. not 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 purposely choosing to stay yeah. in a neutral zone, afraid to have an opinion, but just being like, we don't need to have one because that's not what we're trying to do here. We're just we're we're, we're trying to tell character stories just that happen to take place in this period. It's a it's a well known thing that Japan as a country is just very weird towards World War Two. Like they're, they're they're a lot of people are ashamed of it to a yep. point that it's just sort of a taboo subject to talk about and bring up, and that's why most people won't touch it. Or if they do touch it in films, it's kind of like. It's yeah, a like setting. It a, it's yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was like there's moments that I think have a double-sided meaning. Like there's the moment where uh, Jiro is discussing his plane design, the new plane design, while everybody stayed back for his seminar. I believe they called it. And he makes a passing comment at some point: "Is to lose weight, we should just get rid of the guns." And <laughs> that's you know everybody laughs that off. And and when you first look at it, it's kind of like okay, that's Jiro wanting these machines to be a you know, used for good, not to be these weapons of destruction. But at the same time, you look at Japanese history where a lot of these, you know, the reason that a lot of these pilots didn't come back is because they were only going on a one-way journey and the planes themselves were used as weapons mm-hmm. of destruction to to yeah. do damage to other vehicles by crashing them into them. It's just the fact that it's it's an interesting viewpoint when you look at the airplane from Japan's perspective. It's just there's there's so many kind of 
layers to it could that it can be looked at. Yeah, from. there was a line in there about the planes never coming back as well, which I think was really yes. Yeah. yeah, he says that when he's looking up at the sky because I, I when the they showed all the planes going to the sky, I couldn't help but think of the scene from Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso, yeah. um, with the the plane kind of get the graveyard or where they're all flying away to plane heaven. Uh, yeah, plane heaven. So I, I couldn't help but think of that again. And yeah, when he does say that line of none of those boys came back. It's uh yeah it's 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 a hard pill to swallow especially um you know for anybody looking back at that time period. Yeah. Um, but how do we feel going back going back to the Nico? Okay, is that right? Is that am I saying it right? Nico, I like I to check. Nico, yeah, sure. It's what we're going with. Nico. Um, how do we, how do we feel about her storyline in this? Because in in a lot of ways, I feel like it's Miyazaki's worst weakest female character simply because she does kind of just become this i'll go live a shorter life to make my man happy so like and she kind of starts falling towards that sort of storyline a little bit towards the end like i'm not saying she was a terrible character but i feel like compared to the rest of his films specifically female characters i would say that she wasn't as strong um she as, had tuberculosis. As, of course, she's not as strong. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. No, but, but even I, like, even though I don't think, but I think to, I think to show her as like quote unquote strong would almost be <clears throat> kind of downplaying tuberculosis and how serious that was in that time period. Like, I, I, I think like she, it was such a hard position for her to be in just in general and i think there is strength for her to leave that sanatorium and to go spend days with or go try and spend time with um jiru if jiru doesn't you know if he had actually spent time with her properly i think that sanatorium looked like a horrible place to be they were just sent to lie outside in those sleeping bags to try and you know fight through the, uh, the tuberculosis out. and just sweat it out and to push through that. But it, it was, it was for that time period, tuberculosis was horrible, it was really and truly horrible. I remember when she first said it, I was like, man, don't like, come on for once in, for once in the studio Ghibli kind of history, when a character's sick or something, can we just let them get better and not die? Like, just, just let them, kind of come back and I just knew that was where it was going. I knew that's where it's going and as soon as she was seen walking down that highway, it was uh it was rough and I don't think the thing that that makes me feel like the the ending is a bit empty for me is the fact that we never see Jiru deal with that death with her going. No, but I mean, what do you want to see like him crying because I I I felt that it's weird to say I love the scene where she died, quote unquote died. But I, I felt that scene was great where he's out, Jiro's out watching his life's work pretty much land yep. for the first time and prove its record speed. And then he feels or sees a, hears whatever, a gush of wind so, and he looks over. So, and that's obviously the moment it's implying that's the moment she died Yeah, is then. And he, he, he literally feels it through the wind and because he's looking over, he misses his life's work coming down next to him, kind it, of thing. The wind rose, biggest moment. Say. The wind rises, yeah, literally, exactly. So. I just, I just wish there was more 
the kind of the on-screen representation of Amor, the fact that him realizing and having to work through the fact that he chose his beautiful creation over spending time with her. Like he he made a decision, no matter what he was saying, he made a decision to finish this creation that's going to cause widespread death and like just, you know, despicable things over spending time with this woman that he loved with all of his heart. Like I just wish there was some kind of fallout and character kind of... And in a lot of ways, choosing to do that also caused her death. Well, is that a... Is that, a, is that a hot take? Is that a, not a hot take? I mean, what, what do you mean? What do you? She mean? chose to be with him. If she, if, if she had stayed at the sanatorium, then maybe if she, she had to stayed somewhere else, or or if he wasn't so doing that, maybe they could have both moved somewhere else. That would have been better for her in a different they, life. They could have, but like I think him making that decision makes her decision pointless. Yeah. Like it, it takes a lot of the gravity out of her decision because she's made a decision and she's not getting what she chose. She's not getting to spend the time with him that she loves him and she wants to spend those final precious days with him. Well, she, she doesn't did. get that. You saw that scene at first, it's holding his hand all night. Beautiful. Better than no moments. One of a behind the scenes thing that I think's worth pointing out that's quite interesting is that uh Hitaki Hitaki Anno, the person who voices Jiro, isn't actually a proper or quote unquote proper uh, voice actor. He's an animation director who's had um, he he's most famous for working on, on uh, Ever. Oh, how the fuck do you say it? I can Evo- never say it properly. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Evangelion. Thank Evangelion. Yeah, that one. That's yeah. it. Yes, mm-hmm. Evangelion. Um, he's most famous for working on that, and then he's. You know, known he had a, a an internet fight at one stage where people spat it because he did all these things and blah 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 blah. So it, it's just quite interesting that when picking the person to voice the main character in potentially his last, well, what he thought at the time was his last movie, Miyazaki gets someone who's also an animator who's kind of devoted a certain period, a long period of his life to animation to only get kind of ridiculed for it and then like fan backlash, then like arguments and then like, is it worth it? Was it worth it? I feel like that's saying something when you pick that, like you, you kind of go over your way to cast like that. You know what I mean? Be- beyond just picking a quote unquote proper, normal, everyday voice actor, not getting someone else who who's works in the same sort of line. Because although, although obviously Jiro's life doesn't mimic Miyazaki's, there are certain elements that you can align. Obviously, the devout to work over family, lo- losing time with family because of commitment to work, um, uh, love for planes. I mean, it starts there. Miyazaki obviously has a fascination and love for planes the same way that uh, Jiro does, even though Miyazaki doesn't make them. But in his own way, he does make them. Like, he draws beautiful planes. He's always drawn beautiful planes in his movies. He spent a lot of time drawing them sort of somewhat fetishly you know like he spends a lot of time uh, making sure these things look great and especially this period of time this period of times planes and stuff so there's just a lot of interesting correlations there and especially because at the time he thought this was going to be his the final movie and it's and if it is and it probably is let's let's be honest it probably is um it's just such a odd movie to end on considering most of his movies were somewhat happy and you know more lifelike do you, uh, do you believe that there is more 
Do you think there's more of Miyazaki in this movie, in the main character? Even though the main character is based on somebody else. Yes. Do you think... I would, that's what I'm saying. I think there yeah. is. Like, Because like, I think even the, one of the things, that, like the early element that really kind of stood out to me was, and they never obviously mentioned it was, and it kind of struck a chord with me because my dad went through a similar thing growing up, that when if you have a love for planes, a love for flying, but you wear glasses, you're never going to be able to fly. Because I don't know if that's still the current rule, but especially back then, if you didn't have 20-20 vision, you weren't allowed to fly. You just flat out weren't allowed for it to be a thing. So that's why at the start of the movie, he seems resentful of his glasses and he's trying to like look up at the stars without his glasses Mm -hmm. um, Uh. because he wants to fly. I miss that uh, connection point. (laughs) I guess it's just, it's, yeah, I guess for me, it's just something that's more personal because, you know, I've spoken to my dad about him feeling the same way when he was growing up. Um, mm. But it was, it was it's just very interesting to see this character grow up throughout this movie. Like, even if it's a fairly big time jump from the first part where he's a kid straight to, like, him being a young adult. Um, it's just very interesting to see this this person's kind of um, growth and maturing through the J- Japanese society of the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, what what then is your favorite character and all moment then, Kieran? Favorite character and all moment. Favorite like, character. Lo- longest you've know. spent thinking about any movie. I swear that like couple seconds. I, no, no, no. It was just I haven't. I guess I hadn't even thought about. This is the question, even though we asked this for what, like 19, 20 other episodes so far, like freaking 18 other episodes. Well, less for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, Well, shut up. Thanks. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) um, I think for some reason, and I think it's more of a character design thing and not the character itself, but I really loved his boss. I just loved his hair and just like his <laughs> how animated that character was. Like I just thought, found that him just really funny when he was on screen and just his fringe was just doing every doing whatever it felt like at all times. It seemed like there were some points I was like, is he like halfway to going Super Saiyan right now? Like his hair would like seem to go against gravity. Really found that funny. <laughs> um, favorite moment would be like the paper plane stuff at the holiday retreat, as well as the discussions with um, the German hotel guests. I thought that was really interesting for that to appear in this movie. Um, I was wondering for much of the movie if they were going to tackle the stuff going on in Germany and, and you know, a little bit. And, and I think... They, um, they imply he's a spy, and that's why uh, yes. Jin has to go on the run because he was caught talking with him or whatever. Yes, yeah. Um. It's just it's an interesting yeah time period to be in for this character and for this uh yeah for these moments. How about you, Ash? Um I guess probably uh, <laughs> guess. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably say Jiro. I, I appreciate his uh one tracked kind of mind towards his goals and that kind of thing. Uh but still caring about Nako or Naoki uh, as as much as he possibly could while chasing it. He's just trying to juggle that work-life balance and obviously not doing it very well. Uh, and again, I think my favorite moments, one, the wedding. I thought that was a lovely scene. 
and then the the her lying in the bed next to him after he's he's trying to do some more work and you her holding his hand all through the night wouldn't even let him smoke outside just smoke How here rude. i got tuberculosis but just smoke in here <laughs> smoke here just yeah. smoke here smoke here please it's my favorite thing steal a couple more days from my life <laughs> <laughs> um I, talking about smoke, my favorite scene would be the earthquake. Just the whole. I was super confused. By yeah, the same. Because I was like, not. I was like, trying to work out if it was an earthquake or if it was, it was like, like a, a bombing. Yeah. Because at first, I didn't. I, I was like, wait, are we at Hiroshima? Is this what's just. Like, is Hiroshima happened over there? Am I like super confused with. Like, I was just very. Like, just because of all the smoke and it's saying that the other side of the city's on fire. And I was like, okay, so they have been bombed? What's I mean, what what? Fires can start by stuff being exploding and not not, not just nuclear bombs, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Like, you sure? <laughs> yeah, other things do cause explosions. Uh, and mm. earthquakes can be known to cause There were some odd noises going on during those scenes that I was like, is this trying to like I don't know? To be fair, we live in Australia with no earthquakes, so Well, also true. T- to be fair, all the noises in this movie are done by human mouths. That's a trivia point for it. So uh, I- any single time you hear an a- airplane start, it's someone going... <laughs> like, it's all hand <laughs> noises. And even the part where the earthquake goes off, it's just someone going... <laughs> like, it's all purposely people noises. And it stands out. Especially if you know that beforehand and then you're listening to it and you're like... That's someone just yeah. going, bang, 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 <laughs> which is quite funny. But no, I, I, I really enjoyed the Quake Secrets. I, I think it like early in the movie that showed you what type of person Jim was going to. I mean, you already saw what type of person he was as a kid, I guess. You know, the fact he steps in for the fight, protects that little kid, shows he's a, you know, he's a stand up fella. But then to see that when he's a bit older and that he does that whole sequence, I just thought the, the earthquake sequence like seeing all the fire in the background and stuff like that. I thought it was drawn well. And then the fact that, you know, he saves her and then they don't, he doesn't even tell them the name. He's like, all right, bye. Goes off, does his thing, goes back to university or whatever. You know, just kind of shows you what kind of person he was, I guess. Just look, thinking back at that, what's the age gap between him oh, like, and... There's probably like, um, it, it was probably like, what, 17 at the tops there, probably, maybe. I think I don't think he, he wasn't supposed to be like old. He was supposed to be like 16, 17. Because there was a line where he said, I've been in love with you since you saved my hat. And I was like, have you? Have you really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say there's like 10 years, probably. But I mean, fortunately, they don't do anything until the, the age gap is... No longer a uh, Much, issue. Yeah, no longer a problem. <laughs> An issue, so it's it's fine. Um, and also, it's there's no point during that whole sequence early where he's like, "Hey, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> that would have been quite awkward." Yeah, um, but no, they'll do it. So, um, can I bring up one line I, that I found interesting in retrospect? You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, Caproni says to Jero, "Artists are only created for ten years. Live your ten years for to the full." I found that fascinating. Yes. So which 10 years like, was Miyazaki living into his full? Well, that's very true. Also, when do we need to get rid of Dylan? Like, is Dylan, like... Like, he's been working on videos and stuff for a very long time already. Like, is he running out of juice? Do we need a new model? No, he hasn't hit his prime Had, yet. It's fine. He hasn't hit his prime yet? Awesome, awesome. Ashley, when was your prime? <laughs> which decade? 
still coming. Still okay, okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. interesting. So Spirited Away is two thousand one. So I mean, <laughs> if you're like minus ten, and add a couple of years, you could say Kiki's delivery service was nineteen eighty nine to two thousand one. I guess is his best period. Right? <laughs> you know, let's just. That's the that's the bar I'm working with in there, you know. Uh, <laughs> your the fucking your favorite fit Mononoke fits in there, Ash. Yeah, Don't say it anything. does. It's fine. Yeah, so they're, they're all in there. It's fine. Everyone, calm down. Uh, all right, that is animated wonder number nineteen. The wind rises. You can let us know what you thought of the film on Twitter. You can find all of our twitters by heading to explosionnetwork.com/slash/twitter. Next week's film is the tale tale of Princess. Kagua, so make sure you watch it before next week's episode releases. Until then, boy. Fun trivia fact from the recording of this episode Dylan re recorded the intro to this episode six times. Like, I'm going to use that for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs>